Welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh, how are you today? Good. Hey, you're not Pastor Josh. Nope. Who are you? Eli. Eli. Pastor Josh is on vacation this week, so I've got my my son Eli helping me out today. Eli, you doing good? Uh Uh-huh. This is your first time being on podcast? Yeah. So Eli. What? Pastor Josh, on his last sermon before he went on vacation, had us in the book of Mark. Mark 4. So chapter four. Do you know where the book of Mark is? Um, somewhere in the New Testament. Yep, it's in the New Testament. That's and kind right. of the beginning. I think that's right. Do you remember the books of the New Testament? You used to know all of them by heart. Well, how mm. do they start? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. I can't remember the rest. That was pretty good. But where did you say Mark? You said Matthew. Mark. Luke. So it's right at the beginning, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. a second book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in Mark 4, verses 21 through 25. And what those verses are about are about putting a lamp on a stand. Do you know what it means to put a lamp on a stand? No. Do you remember the the song, This Little Light of Mine? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember how that goes? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, uh-huh. right? And then it goes, hide it under a... The show now. I'm going to let it shine. Mm-hmm. You don't hide a light. You put it on a stand. You don't hide a lamp. You put it on a stand for mm-hmm. all to see. And what they're talking about is the good news of Jesus Christ. You want to broadcast that, show that to the entire world, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Josh is going to be talking about today. Are you ready to listen to it? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Let's get right into it. Good morning, everyone. A lot of uh, emotion in this room. A lot of difficulties, too. But I also see a lot of faith. Lord, as we turn to your word today, I was just thinking about how small faith can seem, how unnoticeable it can appear. And yet, you tell us that by faith, mountains get moved. And that's our faith, a gift from you, has overcome the world. Now, what is that? It's too much for us. Thank you. Thank you for what you've given us today. May you continue the ministry of your spirit as we look to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. Okay, Mark chapter 4, and I'm beginning with verse 21. Why don't you stand with me? It's just a short passage today. Mark 4, 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? 
and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You can be seated. Have you ever heard of the game called the Escape Room? It's not a board game. It's a, it's like a place you go. And like in a storefront, you'd pay to go play this game. You go with your friends or your family. And it's like a live action game. But the, the concept is explained this way. I'll read it for you. Okay, It says, you and your team will assemble in a themed room and will have one hour to complete your mission and escape, quote, escape the room. A successful escape will require you to find hidden clues and solve challenging puzzles throughout the room. So take a look underneath the rug or sift through the books on the shelves and take a closer look at those paintings on the wall. You may find a string of numbers you need for a combination lock or a good old-fashioned key for a padlock. Everywhere you look is a potential clue to get out of the escape room or a riddle waiting to be solved. But hurry, the clock starts ticking when you enter the escape room. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the origin behind this game comes from movies. I don't know if you, I think there's a movie based on that, the escape room or something like that, but where people find themselves suddenly trapped in this room and they have to discover their way out, only it's really not a game in the movies and if you don't get out, it seems like you don't get out at all. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, in a similar way, if you and I are observant about human ways, the ways of man, human pursuits, what we chase after, I think we're going to have a sense of a need to escape. If we're honest about the inner turmoil that we have, the wrestle against some kind of deep personal entrapment. And listen, you and I, if you feel that, you're not mistaken in your judgment. Like Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're trapped, Jesus said. Or Scripture says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, listen, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1-3. So the truth from God about us agrees with our conscience. And it's this, that sinning and wrongdoing is not what it means to be human. I know it's been said to err as human. 
But if that's true, if, if doing wrong is what it means to be human, then shouldn't carrying out the desires, whatever they have, whatever they may, shouldn't that be fulfilling for us? Shouldn't that put our hearts at ease? But it doesn't. They're not at ease. Instead, we see that the wrongs we do deteriorate our lives. They plague our minds. right? And they estrange us from other people. We cut off our relationships, most importantly, from God. So biblically speaking, our need of escape is loud and clear. The clock of life is ticking. But there is one big difference, okay, between the analogy I'm using and what you see in reality, the reality as the Bible presents it, okay? The difference has to do with the one who's behind it all, okay? A lot of times in those movies, well, the one who's behind it is some sinister mastermind, okay? That's not how God is. Because you come to find out that the people in that escape room in those movies you watch, it almost seems that they were, they're being punished for being there, and it's almost like they don't, the guy who's behind it doesn't want them to get out. God's not like that. Did you hear me? Don't get the wrong notion about God. You are in a desperate situation because of our sin. Like Jonathan Edwards once said, he said, it's a wonder. Think about this. It is a wonder that you are not already in hell. Okay, the fact that God has not immediately and appropriately dealt with yours and my sin tells me that God is immensely patient and gracious in His character. And indeed, Jesus said this about the Heavenly Father, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12. Right? God delights to bring us out of Satan's grip and into the safety of his hand. It's his pleasure. I want to give you the kingdom. So God's heart's for you. It's not against you. He doesn't want to see your demise. He wants you to escape the snare of the devil. He wants you to become his treasured possession. Well, how does he show us the way out? Are you ready? Here it is. How does he show you? In parables. In parables. He said, well, why doesn't he just come out and tell me who he is, right? Why doesn't he just show us all plainly, right, who he is? Why, why the clues? Why the stories? Well, that's what we're going to think about today. Because following the first recorded parable in Mark, we looked at it last week, the parable of the sower, okay? Mark includes two sayings that we just read of Jesus in verses 21 to 25. You might call them maxims or wisdom sayings. You look in Matthew, you look in Luke, you'll find similar words from Jesus, but they're placed in different junctures of his ministry. Likely, these are things that Jesus said often to those who heard him. But more important for us is noting that Mark has purposely put them after the parable of the sower. And what was the parable of the sower about? Our responsiveness. How responsive are you to the message to the person of Jesus Christ? So this chapter, what Mark has arranged here, has a particular lesson about it. It's not just, well, Jesus said this, and then he did that, and then he said this. 
there's a reason that he's strung these things together. Why did Jesus teach in parables and what, what ought we to learn and do because of them? Okay, so I'm calling these few verses the principles of the parables. Put it that way. The principles of the parables. Okay? So let's see what Jesus teaches here. Notice this verse 21. And he said to them, look at this, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So he raises a question, right? Jesus often does this. He asks a question to make you think. And it's a rather common sense question, isn't it, right? Well, no! That's not what you do with a lamp. And oil lamps, which is what they used back then, one of the most common artifacts that are found today in ancient Israel, the oil lamp. Jesus references also a basket that was used in the kitchen for grain and a bed. Not typically what we use a bed today, but this is where you recline to eat your meals. But you get the point. It doesn't matter. The point is you don't bring in a lamp in order to not use the light. You hang the lamp where it best gives the light, right, to the room. But is Jesus just asking a common sense question? The less obvious thing in this verse is the lamp. I'm going to tell you what I mean. It's a very peculiar lamp. Very distinguishable because of how it's used in the Greek. Okay. See, the problem is, Sometimes when we take Greek and we translate it, we put it into English, we try to smooth it out to make it sound a little more nice in the English language. Okay? But it really it ought to be translated something like this. Okay? Does the lamp come in? Did you hear me? It really says, does the lamp come in? Now think about that. In English, it's made to sound like there's a person who's bringing in the lamp. But in Greek... The lamp itself is the one that's coming in. The lamp's the subject. It's acting. It's moving. Now let me ask you something. What kind of lamp does that? Something very odd about this lamp. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, you don't have to turn there, but you could write it down if you want. David said this, listen. He said, for you are my lamp, O Lord. And my God lightens my darkness. Now it gets better. Okay, listen. 2 Kings 8, verse 19. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. And again, Psalm 132, 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. So not only do you see that a lamp is a reference for God, but it's also an image for David's promise on the Messiah. is a lamp. And the second thing that's kind of odd about the original language is that there's a definite article there. It's the lamp. Does the lamp come in? It's not just any old lamp. This is a very specific lamp. So why? What's Jesus indicating by making this word stand out? Well, it's more than just a common sense question. It's a particular statement about Jesus himself. See, that's who the lamp represents. And what does Jesus come to do? What did Jesus coming to earth do? Listen. Listen now. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. John 8, 12. And again, John, the true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the purpose of the lamp, okay, this lamp, Jesus Christ, is to enlighten and to reveal, okay, to show the way. That's what a lamp does, right? It reveals. It shows the way for us to God, into God's kingdom. And this is what he is doing by telling us these parables, right? Revealing the way. So the first principle of the parables is this. If you write it down, Jesus is the lamp that reveals the way to God. Jesus is the lamp that reveals the way to God, the way into his, king, into his kingdom. Okay, That was what the Messiah came for, to give understanding of God. And by the way, those who are followers of Jesus, guess what? You become lamps along with him. So if you flip back to Matthew, for example... Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said there to his disciples, the people listening, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people... Light a lamp and put it under a basket. You've heard that before. But put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So note then that God has made you a light. The preacher Alexander McLaren noted, he said, God's act of lighting indicates His purpose is illumination. What are you a Christian for, he asks? That you may go to heaven? Certainly. That your sins may be forgiven? No doubt. But is that the only end? No. But that for the time of right now, you may let your light shine. You've been lit to give light. Not to hide it. No, but notice this next verse then, okay? This is... A little strange turn here. Verse 22. Jesus then said, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus, the lamp and his followers, are they're meant to give light, to reveal God. But for the time, even today, the truth is hidden. It's cloaked. Remember that Jesus is speaking through parables, right? Not plainly, but through parables. And like the sower of the previous parable, Jesus' work then and even today appears secret. As unnoticeable as seeds, right? Seeds being cast upon the ground. But is it going to stay that way? Is it going to remain unnoticeable? Remember the corn when you planted it, guys? And how it was hardly visible at one point, right? You could just barely see it popping out of the ground. And yet today, look at the fields, right? And the fruit is ready to come forth, right? Well, why has God made it so that his kingdom breaks in with this hiddenness? Well, notice what Jesus is actually saying about what is hidden, right? He said, nothing is hidden except 
to be made manifest. Nothing is secret except to come to light. So the goal is not for the truth to be ultimately hidden. It's hidden in order to be found. It's made secret in order to be revealed. You say, I don't understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, I'm a little lost here. All right, I'm going to help you out, okay? Have you ever been part of a gift scavenger hunt before? Okay, someone in our church did this a little while ago um, for one of their children. They, uh, You see, they took gifts, and rather than just giving them straight up, they hid them, okay? Not just in parts of the house, but around the town, okay? And they gave them clues as to their whereabouts, okay? What's the purpose? Well, was the goal just to hide them so that they would never find them? No, right? He wants them to get found, right? The gifts are not meant to remain hidden, right? They are hidden in order to be found. Is this not also why we wrap gifts? Think about it. Why do you wrap a gift? Why don't you just give it to somebody? Is it because you don't want them to find out what's in there? Well, don't touch that. I wrapped that. I don't want you to know what's in there. Is it not because you want them, you know, you want the gift to be revealed, right? To the one who desires to know what's inside. But if you don't care to know, if you don't want to know what's inside, then you'll lose out, right? Well, the parables are wrapped Gifts. This is what a parable is. It's a wrapped gift. If you don't open it, it remains concealed to you. By the way, Jesus himself is the greatest example of of a parable itself. He is a parable. Because to those around him, even to his family, he's just an ordinary flesh and bone guy. And yet the scriptures say, That he is the fullness of God wrapped in human flesh. Indeed, it might be said, unless Jesus was wrapped in human flesh, you would be blinded by his glory. You'd be overcome by his presence. You couldn't handle him. Well, how might you know then, how might you really know that this Jesus, this guy, really is God? In human flesh. Well, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said, pay attention to what you hear. Because here's the second principle of the parables. Jesus himself being the greatest of all parables. It's the truth of God wrapped in earthly imagery. Okay, Jesus and the word of his kingdom is hidden because he wants us to open it. Do you get it? It's hidden in order to be found. Like the escape room, you have to look for the clues. You've got to want to find the way out. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Jews when they failed to understand him? This is in John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, listen, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And here's what he said. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
Are you hearing who Jesus is? Are you hearing through his ways? Are you hearing through his miracles? Are you hearing through his call? See, the key is hearing. That's what this chapter is all about. The things that Jesus said are not the simplest to understand. You know why? That's the point. Because you're meant to ponder them and you're meant to think about them. They're hidden in order to be searched out. And in that way, you experience it as you find it, as you look for it. But lest you think that this is just some hobby horse for those who are spiritually minded, no, you can do that if you want it. Well, look at verse 24. Jesus said, pay attention to what you hear, because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay. By the way, this is not a lesson on uh, capitalism or economics. Okay. Jesus isn't saying that the rich get richer. You gave and I'm going to give you more and the poor are just going to get poorer. He's saying the measure you use to pursue me, to have spiritual discernment, to that extent that you seek me, God will correspondingly give you understanding. What I mean is he'll give you the truth about who Jesus is, that he's God and he's king and he's your only hope for escape. And with that, with knowing him, with unwrapping him, comes all the blessings. We talked in Bible study yesterday, the spiritual blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. More will be added to you. But if you don't use it, you lose it. It seems kind of contradictory, doesn't it? That to the one who has, more will be given. We say, how can a cup that's full contain any more? It doesn't make sense, does it? You know why? Because it's God-enabled. God fills your capacity to have more, and then guess what? To have even more after that. And it's kind of a proverbial truth. I mean, it's, it's true to life because even Proverbs makes this point. It says in Proverbs 9.9, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. And we say, well, isn't it the fool that needs more? Isn't it the fool that has a cup that's empty and needs to get filled up? But who gets filled? Not the fool. Who benefits from instruction? The one who's wise. So use it. Use what you hear, which means pursue it. Act on what you have heard from Jesus. Hey, who will act on what they've heard today? Who wants to know what's inside? Nobody? First hand. Now, that's only for you. That you will know the secret of the gift. Do <laughs> you get it? If you're still thinking about, man, I'm trying to understand what Jesus means, good. You're meant to think about it. It's meant to lead you, to act on it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And the clock of life is ticking. It is. Now, you've seen the clues. You've considered the riddles. 
But have you taken God's gift? Well, if you need another reminder to chase after Jesus Christ and to open Him up, have you heard the old, old story? How the Savior came from glory? And you know how that song goes? And I repented of my sin and won the victory. I've always sang it. Victory in Jesus. Just the first verse. Let's sing that first verse and that chorus. Let's let that resonate with us as we close today. Let me, let me close with this. First uh, John 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Lord, we love those words that we sang. We love the words that we have heard today. This is our victory. My Savior forever. So I pray and ask that you would give the gift of faith to any who does not have it today that they would run after Jesus Christ, they would consider what he has, and that you would give to them more and more of himself until life wells up into them and they become a fountain and a light to other people to show God's ways. We ask it by the power, because we know it's only by him, of Jesus' name.